All right, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 10 where we left off last week. Uh, but before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. And uh, I'll do some review to bring us back up uh, to the context where we are this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, it would not be the words of man, but the word of God would go forth with power. Give us ears to hear. Make this the most attentive hour of our week. And as we study your word, prepare our hearts for our time of communion. We will come before your table to remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. So Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. We've been looking at it the last several weeks. And as we know, the church in Colossae was a young church, six or seven years old, about the age of Calvary Chapel, Calabasas. And in that fellowship, a lot of false teaching and other things had been creeping in. And even though Paul had never actually visited Colossae, uh, the church was probably planted out of a church he had planted in Ephesus. And so the word comes to him, and he writes this letter to encourage them and to exhort them. And so we know that Paul's sitting in prison. You would never know that by reading the letter because Paul's not a whiner. Paul's not a complainer. Paul's more focused on other people's uh, getting saved and people walking with the Lord than he has his own frailties or his own suffering. And boy, what an example of a godly man. And so he, the first two chapters, he reminds them of who we are in Christ. And the key verse, the word is in him, in him, in him. The preeminence of Christ, who Christ is, what Christ has done. And, and the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And he reminds them over and over because they were getting drawn away. And what was happening was there was a lot of things being added to the gospel. Uh, the, there was a, a beginning of the Gnostics who believed in the pursuit of knowledge and they had special knowledge. There were those who were getting caught up with astrology uh, there were those who were adding to the cross, you know, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus keeping the law and, and observing things on the Sabbath. So all those things were creeping into the church, and he writes this letter first to remind them of who they are, and then the first two chapters, what we believe, and then beginning last week, how do we behave? So in light of who we are in Christ, how do we live differently? And so last week, I tell the message a heavenly perspective. And heavenly perspective was just looking at, you know, keeping everything with an eternal focus. Most people right now are focused on the world and the circumstances around us, and we need to be focusing on Jesus. So the first thing we looked at in a heavenly perspective last week was to set our mind on things above. You know, if we keep our eyes on the waves, we're going to panic. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll be at peace. And so he said, you know, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And see, here's the reality. No matter what's going on down here, nothing's changed in heaven. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. God is still faithful. His will is still being done. And you know what? We need to keep our eyes on him, keep our focus on him, keep our passion on him, not on things of the world. And then we saw put off the old man. So we're going to look at putting on the new man today. But he's saying, look, now that your new creations in Christ, now that you've been born again, that person you used to be is dead. And that person needs to stay dead. Can I get an amen? We don't want to be resurrecting the old man and living the life uh, that we once lived when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And some of the things we looked at are just the, the sins that were so common in those days. And, one, and, and he focused a lot on, on sexual immorality. Because you know what? It's a sign of where we are spiritually by where our passions are focused. Are they focused on the Lord and our spouse? Or are they focused on the world? Are they focused on someone else who isn't your spouse? And so we talked about fornication and adultery and all those areas where, again, our bodies belong to the Lord. And we should do everything we do to glorify and honor Him. And you know what? Even if you're not married, you have a spouse out there if you desire to be married. So you pray for your spouse, and you be faithful to the spouse you haven't met yet. And he's saying this uncleanness, this fornication, this sexual immorality, it's running rampant in the church. Well, there's nothing new under the sun because it's running rampant in the church today. And guys, our example to follow is not the world, it's the Lord. And it's what the Word of God says. It's funny, the timing of these chapters, because we looked at David and Bathsheba on Thursday night, and David was a man who had a problem controlling his passions. He already had multiple wives, and he took someone else's wife. And so my encouragement to all of us is, keep your passion on the Lord, and keep your passion on your spouse. Can I get an amen to that? Or the one that, you, that you're going to marry one day. Then he went into some more sins that were really focusing on the tongue, anger, 
The Bible says, be angry and sin not. You know, the Bible says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He talked not only about anger, but in the text there, he said to put to death, you know, not only fornication, all those things, but then he said anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of a mouth, out of your mouth. The reality is it says in Psalms, you know, can, can, can clean and bitter water flow from the same fountain? The answer is no. And so whatever's coming out of our mouth doesn't slip out. It pours out from our heart. And then he ended the text last week talking about lying. And lying is an epidemic even in the church today. I shared that I looked up a bunch of surveys on lying, and one said as much as 94% of people who were surveyed said they lie on a regular basis. The lowest one was 72%. So a vast majority of people will even openly confess that they lie all the time. You know what? Lying has got one thing, it's one focus, it's pride. Why? Here's why. Because we lie to make ourselves look better or to get out of trouble, right? And so when we lie, we're always doing it because we're focused on ourselves, and it's interesting that lie and pride and sin all have I in the middle. Can I get an amen to that? And so we looked at putting off the old man. And now that he's instructing them in putting off the old man, now he's going to talk about, okay, we've taken off the coats of the old man. And now we're putting on, we're being clothed in righteousness. We're new creations in Christ. Now how should we live? So here's the outline. I've titled the message. You have no idea how important, how blessed I am to have this outline up here. Thank you to Jennifer Camper. Um, I, I printed the wrong outline, and that's why I was late running up here, because we were literally trying to print the right one without passwords. God is good. Can I get an amen? So put on the new man. And I tell the message, put on the new man, walk in the newness of life, having put to death our fleshly desires, once being slaved to sin, death, and the grave, now clothed in righteousness, new creations in Christ. So this morning, we're going to have six points to the message. The first one, as we put on the new man, we're being restored to the image of God through the knowledge of God. So the sanctification process, as we were justified, just as if we'd never sinned at salvation, we're being sanctified, which we're being molded more into the image of our Savior, till the day we are glorified, and that won't happen till we're in heaven. So how do we become more like Jesus? How, do, how are we molded more and more to the image of our Savior? Well, the text will show us that it comes from the knowledge of Him. See, the more we know Him, the more we will become like Him. The more time we spend in his word, the more time we seek his face, the more that we know the Savior, the better we know the Savior. Is he a faraway, distant God to you? Is he somebody that you, you, know, you check in with once a month? Is he somebody that you, you, know, you go to church a couple times a year to reconnect with him? Uh, is, he the, is he the safety net, just in case there really is a God? You kind of cry out to him once in a while. Is he the last resort? when you're going through difficulty? Or do you have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about him? Do you spend, you know, begin, spend, and end your day with him? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? We're going to talk about that. If you're a new creation in Christ, if you've been born again, that relationship shouldn't be something that's off and on. It should be constant. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? And so we're going to see that in this morning's text, being restored to the image of God, to the knowledge of God. Secondly, walking in unity with all believers through our common bond in Christ. See, when we put on the new man, not only do we, we have a new family, and when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. And when we have the Lord in common, it should set aside everything else that we don't have in common. Amen? Because when we have the Lord in common, it won't matter what our background is. It won't matter, we'll see in this morning's text, whether you're poor or rich, a slave or free, a barbarian or a Scythian. It doesn't matter. It's who you are in Christ that matters. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, he's not going to ask me if I'm a, you know, I'm going to say, hey, I'm a Scottish uh, Calvary Chapel Christian. That's not, God doesn't care about any of that, right? Do I have a relationship with him or do I not? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know about him or do you know him? Point number three will be, as born-again believers, our ba- behavior should be consistent with who we are in Christ. You know, you've been chosen by God, by his love and his grace and his mercy, and the spirit-filled walk is marked with several things. But see, the reason that our walk is the way that it is, the reason that we are convicted by some sin and we're not convicted by other behaviors, why is it that we're convicted? Well, it has everything to do with who we are with Christ. If your relationship with the Lord is where it belongs, guess what's going to happen? It's going to change the way you behave. When you're walking with the Lord and you, everything you do, you're bringing the Lord with you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's going to change your behavior. It's going to change your priorities. It's going to change your passions. And we'll see that the reason we do the things we do is based more on a relationship with the Lord than anything else. If you can live 
in the sins he talked about last week, if you're living in open fornication and you're not convicted, I'm concerned about your salvation. Because if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're going to be convicted. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Amen? Amen? Now, you may do it and be convicted. Praise God for that. But true conviction should lead to repentance and not a continuing on in that behavior. So we'll see that it should, our behavior as born-again believers should be consistent with who we are in Christ. Uh, fourthly, the peace of God is ruling in your heart. When you're born again, you have the peace of God. The world right now has no peace. I did an interview this week. Uh, somebody called me, and I did an interview over the phone, and he kind of asked about my past and my background, and I was sharing it with him. And he said, and he didn't know me, obviously. He said, how in the world did you get through all of that? Now, is that an opportunity for the gospel? Can I get an amen? How did you get through all of that? I said, it's the peace of God. You know, when, when, when God dwells in you, when, when you have a relationship with the Lord, you can have peace. See, peace isn't the absence of war. It's a right standing with the Prince of Peace. And so we'll see in this morning's context, again, the peace of God. These are things that the new man has. He has the peace of God ruling in his or her heart. Not only does the peace of God rule in your heart, but the word of God dwells in you richly. I was talking to somebody else on the phone recently uh, who I work with, and I shared a Bible verse with him, and he said, let me go get my Bible so we can read that together. I said, great. And I thought this guy was pretty solid in his walk, and it took him about 20 minutes to find the book in the Bible. I mean, he's flipping through back and forth. And I had to, I had to, I'm like, bro, you know, you got to read that thing. Can I get an amen? amen. You know, you got you to know this pretty well. Can I get an amen to that? You should know this better than the, the guide on direct TV. Amen. You should know this. You should know this better than where your channels are. Where's ESPN? You got to, we we're trying to find a book in the Bible. It took him forever. And I'm like, guys, the word of God, she dwells in us richly. Amen. And if it dwells in you, I can tell, you know, it's the grace of God, but somebody can mention a verse to me, I can tell you what, what side of the page it's on, and if it's been highlighted or not, right? It becomes a part of you, amen? And so as new men, new women in Christ, as new creations in Christ, it, the word of God should dwell in you richly. Don't know about the word, you should know the word, because if you know the word of God, you're going to know the God of the word. And then finally, do everything you do in the name of Christ. We represent the Lord to a lost and a dying world. I mentioned last week that in about the last two weeks, I've had seven or eight customers. I sell advertising, most of you know, and my customers are calling me because they're panicked about what's going on. And the big, uh, some of them are saved, but they know who can I call that, that knows the Bible. And you know what? Your neighbors should think of you. Your coworkers should say, who, who can pray with me? Guys, we should be those that represent the Lord to a lost and a dying world. And we should do everything we do for the glory of God, amen? That he might be glorified, so do everything you do. So when you are deciding, making a decision, will this glorify God? Will this bring honor to his name? Will this cause others to be drawn closer to him? Or will my choice stumble other people? So let's begin there, putting on the new man, looking at first walking in newness of life, and being restored to the image of God through the knowledge of God. So we're going to pick up there in verse 10. So he had just talked to them about lying. He had just talked, about, talked to them about all the struggles that they were having and the things they needed to take off. And so he's saying, look, okay, you've taken off the old man. It's really determined in the original language there in Hebrew. It's taking off a Greek, take off the old man and putting on the new man. And so he says there in verse 10, he says, and have, have, and have put on, so let me read verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man so, and put on the new man is, again, it's that image of taking off clothing. Once clothed in sin, you're now clothed in righteousness. Did you know that? You were once clothed in sin. When, when God saw you from heaven, he saw your sin. And now he sees you through the shed blood of his son, and he sees you holy and righteous. So you've taken off that sin. You've taken off that old nature, and now you are a new creation in Christ. You know, before, when we act according to our nature, we act sinful, lived outside of God's will. And now as new creations in Christ, we have a new nature in him. So we've put on Christ, and having put him on, his righteousness, we ought to act differently. Notice what he says there as a new man or a new woman in Christ. He says there, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Again, the word renewed there in Greek is who is constantly being renewed. So we are constantly growing in our relationship with the Lord. By the way, we'll talk about this later, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've been saved. 
It has everything to do with how close you are to the Savior. Amen? My dad, uh, most of you know he's in heaven. He's been in heaven for a couple years. My favorite Bible teacher, my first pastor, uh, just the kindest, most gracious man I've ever met. I never met anybody who didn't love my dad. And my dad used to use this term, he got saved real good. You know, did you see, heard about so-and-so, he got saved real good. And what he meant by that is he got saved and his life is already producing fruit. There are people that have, quote, been saved for decades, and their life really hasn't changed. That's concerning. And there are those who have been saved a really long time, and their walk with the Lord hasn't grown much because they're not spending time in the Word. They're not spending time in prayer. They're not serving in the local church. They're just sitting on the sideline. They got the get-out-of-hell-free card in their wallet. They're happy with a saved soul and a wasted life. And that shouldn't be true of the believer. He said, your, your relationship with the Lord is being renewed. We are continually growing in our relationship with the Lord as we spend time in his word, as we spend time in his presence. It's a constant thing. And what is that doing? As we spend time with him, we become more like him. Now, I've never felt confident to say this. Maybe one day I will. But I love what the Apostle Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think we can say that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I hope we're imitating Christ well enough that people can imitate us. Can I get an amen to that? So here he is, he's, he's saying, look, you need to be renewed. It's a constant, ongoing, you know, I, I met a man years ago who said, well, you know, I haven't read the Bible in years because I read the whole thing and I got it nailed. I'm like, well, uh, I don't think so, because if you read it, the Bible would say, tells you that you desire the word of God more than your necessary food. Have you ate in the last couple of years? Because you ought to be reading the word of God more than you eat. Can I get an amen? So it's a constant process of growing in our relationship with the Lord, being renewed in him. It's that process, again, of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. So how does this renewal take place? Through knowledge. The word knowledge there is recognition, discernment, acknowledgement. It's feeding on the word of God. Having been clothed in him, the more we get to know and recognize and acknowledge Christ for who he is, the more we become like him. You know, you can tell kind of where your relationship is with the Lord. How do you feel when people curse his name? Does it bother you? How do, does it bother you when you watch a TV show and they're taking, they're taking God's name in vain? Are you okay with that? Or does it grip your heart? How do you feel when you, when you hear about other people who don't know the Lord? Does it break your heart? Do you have a passion to see them saved? Uh, what kind of reverence do you have for his name? How much time do you spend in his presence? When you open up the word of God, is it something you take seriously? Guys, we're not reading Moby Dick, we're reading the Word of God. Can I get an amen? There's a letter written by the creator of the universe to you because he loves you. Our, our relationship is being renewed as new creations in Christ, and we become more in his image as we, we get to know him better. And the way we get to know him better is to spend time on our knees, in prayer, in the Word, and in fellowship. Amen? As we spend time in his word, that's where we grow. We're being fed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to have faith like, you know, somebody who's got, just read the word as much as somebody who's got great faith and you will have the same amount of faith. That's where faith comes from. People say, I've said to people, they'll say, well, you have the gift of faith. Well, no, I just have a, a love for the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? If we love God's word, we're going to live God's word and we're going to have a passion for what the word of God teaches us. The more we get to know the Lord, the more we love him, and the more we become like him. God's purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son. It's in Romans 8, 29. Our character should reflect the person of our Savior. We should be people of godly character that bring glory and honor to his name. We've put, in, we've put, on, we've put on Christ. We're new creations in him. We should live different, act different, speak different. And again, if you're not spending time in the word, you are falling away from the Lord. It's just that simple. It's impossible to continue to grow and spend no time in the Word. It's impossible to continue to grow and spend no time in prayer. Prayer and your time in the Word will be a reflection of how much you love the Lord. If I stop talking to my wife and I don't let her talk to me, our relationship isn't going to last. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that prayer is us talking to God and the word of God is him talking to us. He can still speaks to us through prayer. But guys, it's so important that we be renewed day by day. And the way that we do that is to know him. And the word to know there means by experience. It's not knowing about him, but knowing him. I know a lot about public figures, but I know Jesus. Amen. And, and he knows me. Doesn't it blow you away that the Lord knows you, that he loves you, that you're his son or daughter, he's adopted you into his family? What a great and awesome God we serve. So as we put on the new man, we're being restored to the image of God through the knowledge 
of God. And again, the more you know, recognize, and acknowledge Jesus, the more you will become like him. Point number two of putting on the new man. Walking in unity with all believers through the common bond we have in Christ. Look at verse 11. It says there, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but all is, but Christ is all and in all. So as believers, the new man is part of a new family. See, I tell that when people get saved, I often will say to them, welcome to the family of God. You've just been adopted into the family. We will never disown you. Can I get an amen to that? So now you, you have a new family. And the reality is, it's a family that if, the, if your earthly family doesn't know the Lord, it's a family that you will be closer to than your earthly family most often. Here's why. Because blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. When you meet a believer... In the grocery store, I love to use my in-line at Disneyland, right? So that's about an hour to talk to somebody. So you're in line, and you see a Christian, somebody wearing a Christian t-shirt or, or whatever, and you start talking about the Lord, and by the time you get to the front of the line, I mean, this is a brother from another mother. Can I get an amen? You've got a relationship with them, you're hugging each other, you're praying for each other, and you know, you know what, and you're exchanging phone numbers, because we've got Jesus in common. We don't have a football team in common. We don't have, you know, we don't have a, 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 an interest in something in common. We have Jesus in common. That means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. My dad used to always call everybody brother, the brothers and sisters. That's what he always would say. I love the sisters. I love the brothers and the sisters. You know, I think that's good in our vocabulary because it reminds us of the relationship that we have with each other. In Christ, there are no nationalities. Did you know that? Now, again, there's nothing wrong with looking at your genealogy, that's fine, and being curious where your ancestors came from. But you know what? If you really want to study uh, your genealogy, start with Adam and Eve. Can I get an amen to that? How about, how about Noah? We're all related to him. Can I get an amen? Let's read the word of God and look at who we are in Christ and recognize that common bond that we have in the Lord. In heaven, we're not going to have you know, different sections for different denominations or countries that you came from or any of that stuff. That's all nonsense. We're all one in Christ. You're either saved or you're not. You're born again or you're not. You're a saint or an ain't. Can I get an amen to that? So you either know the Lord and you have a relationship with him and then you're a part of the body of all believers and you all have the Lord in common. So we should be walking in unity with other believers. And nothing breaks the heart of God more than to see his kids fighting with each other over things that have nothing to do with eternity. Nothing wrong with having theological discussions. Nothing wrong with talking about things. But I think sometimes, you know, we're more focused on a secondary issue than we are on the, what we have in common in Christ. This week, somebody put on Facebook, and it said, it said they're Calvinists, and they said, would, you're, you know, to all my Calvies, would you marry a non-Calvinist? And all of them said no. And I said, are we of Calvin or are we of Christ? Which is it? I'm just trying to understand here. Do we have Jesus in common? Do you think there's going to be a Calvinist section in heaven? And I guess you'd already be chosen for which section you'd be in, right? But here's the reality is, the reality is, it's who we are in Christ that matters. Amen. And I'm not going to talk down the word of God. And you know what? Yes, God is sovereign. And yes, we have free will. The Bible teaches both. I believe both. Can I get an amen? But I count Calvinists as brothers in Christ. They're confused. But I count them as brothers in Christ. And I love them. I pray for them. And I love them. But the reality is, we don't put our faith in Paul. I'm not a Paul or Peter of Apollos. I'm of Jesus. Can I get an amen? And we have unity in Christ. And we should be bound by the thing we have in common. Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. That's more important than the things we don't have in common. And again, there's a time and place to discuss things theologically. I'm not saying we don't do that. But that shouldn't divide us. That should unite us. Can I get an amen? It should draw us closer to the Lord and closer to each other. Notice he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now keep in mind, in Colossae, there were those who were saying, well, yeah, okay, you gave your life to Jesus, but you still got to keep, you still got to keep the old covenant. You got to still got to, you know, still have to be circumcised and you still have to worship on the Sabbath and you still have to keep the dietary laws. Well, no, no, he's saying here, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Then he also says they're circumcised or uncircumcised. Again, in God's eyes, circumcision was part of the old covenant. It was a covenant between the Jewish uh, men and Almighty God. It was a reminder of their covenant with the Lord every single day of their lives, and God commanded it, and it was an act of obedience. But now under the new covenant, circumcision is not necessary, okay? Now again, it's something that reminds us 
of the Lord and that relationship in the old covenant. And so he's saying, look, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have a circumcised and uncircumcised section. Amen? But then he says this, there's neither barbarian nor Scythian. Now, what's interesting about that is the barbarians uh, were people that anybody who didn't speak Greek or Latin, they considered a barbarian. They said, oh, they're barbaric. They don't even know what they're doing. They have different speech. They're different in their appearance, their mannerisms, their behavior. And sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking, you know, the clean-cut Christians are more Christians than the people who aren't quite as... Guys, God doesn't care about that. Can I get an amen? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And so here's the reality in this section of Scripture. He talks about the barbarians. Well, the Scythians, you know, Jew and Greek were kind of opposites, and so was circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarians and Scythians. Scythians were barbarians that, were, that the barbarians thought were barbarians. They were the worst barbarians. The Scythians were northern people located along the northern coast of the Black Sea, and they were more barbaric than the barbarians. So to the Greeks, the Scythians were a violent, uneducated, and uncivilized people. And Josephus, who was a non-Christian writer of the time, said uh, of the Scythians, they take pleasure in killing men, and they differ little from brute beasts. And the Lord says, there's no difference between you and a Scythian. There's no difference between you and a barbarian. When we have Christ in common, we have everything in common. Amen? One of the songs I learned as a kid along with Jesus Loves Me is Jesus Loves the Little Children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Can I get an amen to that? And we are dividing as a nation. We divide as churches over how much melanin we have on our skin. That's nonsense. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus loves us all. We're all his kids. Can I get an amen? We're all one in Christ. And we need to lose that separation based on, on nationality, background, how much money we have in the bank, what color our skin is, where we grew up. It's all not. We're all one in Christ. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. In Christ, there's no more distinction. Again, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. All believers, all who have been put on the new man, no matter what background, are one in Christ. So when I have more in common with somebody I meet in India on a missions trip from a foreign country who doesn't speak my language, who has a different skin color than me, a different background than me, uh, maybe they're different in socioeconomic stature or whatever, and we stand next to each other and we're singing Amazing Grace and they're singing it in Hindi and I'm singing it in English, that's my brother. Can I get an amen to that? I got more in common with that person than the person who lives next door to me that doesn't know Jesus. And so there needs to be unity amongst all believers. He says, as you put on the new man, again, you're being restored to the image of God through the knowledge of God, and you're to walk in unity with all believers through a common bond that we have in Christ. Point number three, born-again believers, born-again believers, our behavior should be consistent with who we are in Christ. Let's pick up there in verse 12. He says, oh, verse 3, he says, neither slave nor free, but all, but Christ is all and in all. And then he says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Our behavior as believers should be consistent with who we are in Christ. And he gives us some terms here for us to unpack here for a moment. It says, as the elect of God. The word elect just means chosen by God. Do you know the Bible is clear of the sovereignty of God, that he chose you before the foundation of the world? God chose you. The next time you feel of no value, remember that God chose you. Can I get an amen? We're chosen of God. We're thankful that he chose us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't choose you because you're good. He chose you because he's gracious. Amen? Don't, he didn't choose you because you're better than somebody else. He's not blessed you're on his team. You're blessed that you're on his... He's not blessed that you're on his team. We're blessed that we're on his team. Can I get an amen to that? And he doesn't need us. We need him. And I'm thankful that he chose us. Chosen by God, again, not based on anything we've done, but based solely on his grace. Again, now, because God chose you doesn't mean you don't have free will. God can choose before the foundation of the world and you still have free will to accept or reject him. And again, how does that all perfectly work? We'll find out when we get to heaven. Can I get an amen? I don't have to fully grasp it. I just know that God chose me and by his grace, and then I responded. I have free will and I chose to repent. 
And both of those things are things that are active in the life of a believer. Some say, well, he chose you so you repented. Same, some say, because you repented, he chose you. Well, you know, it doesn't matter ultimately. Oh, what ultimately matters, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Are you a new creation in him? Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Again, it speaks of the sovereignty of God, but it does not eliminate the free will of man. Then he says this, holy. You're holy. That's a word we don't like to touch. We mock people. That's holy Joe. Who does that guy think he is? He thinks he's some holy guy. Well, here's the reality. As Christians, you are holy. And you're not holy again because of what you've done, but what Christ did for you and who you are in Christ. The word holy there literally means set apart one, sanctified. We get the word saint. So again, we are saints. So we don't, saints aren't dead people who've got statues in the Catholic church where that people pray over that maybe did a miracle and they're trying to prove it 300 years after they died. That's not a saint. A saint is anyone who's given their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. You're saint, you're sanctified unto the Lord. That's why we don't pray to saints. We don't pray to dead people. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit because we too are saints. Now it's not arrogant. We should be humble about it, but I'm Saint Dave. I know I don't deserve it, but I am because the Lord tells me that I am. I'm holy because I deserve it, but because of who I am in Christ. It's not because of who I am, but whose I am. Amen? And because of who I am in Him, again, we uh, are, as born-again believers, we are holy and we are set apart. But guys, you know what that also means? We're not our own. We don't belong to us. We belong to Him. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Him. Jesus came and suffered and died for you, and now you and I are called to live for him. And so how do we do that? What are some examples of what a believer should look like? Now, Paul goes on to give us a few. He says here, beloved. We're beloved there. We are his beloved children. Again, when an unbeliever sins, he is a creature breaking the laws of of a holy creator and judge, and he's acting according to his nature. When we as Christians sin, we are breaking the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. And as a believer grows in our our love for the Lord, we will grow in our desire to obey Him. See, the more I love Jesus, the more I want to obey Him. The The better I know the Lord, the more I want to walk in the center of His will. The more I love the Lord, the more I'm grieved by my sin, the more it breaks my heart. It's it's. I shared this about Spurgeon, you know, that he was walking across the street in London and he, and he stopped in the middle of the street. This is 100 years ago and carriages are going by and he had gone to lunch with some pastor friends on the other side of the street and they're trying to call him out in the middle of the street. And he's got his head bowed in the middle of the street and he finally walks across and they said to him, you know, Brother Spurgeon, what are you doing? You're, you're, he goes, I had a sinful thought come to my mind. I didn't want to take another step till I got right with Jesus. I'm like, Lord, help me to keep short accounts with you. Can I get an amen to that? And so as a believer who's walking with the Lord, we know that we're loved by God. We've been adopted into his family. We're new creations in Christ. It's going to change the way we view sin, the way we view the world, and our desire to obey the creator of the universe. Let me ask you a question. When you sin, how do you feel about it? Does it break your heart? Does it drive you to your knees? If it doesn't, I'm concerned about your salvation. You either have a hard heart or you're not saved. Amen? And there needs to be repentance and restoration with the Lord. Notice he says they're put on. So having put on the new man, here's the Christ-like qualities that will follow in the life of a believer. Notice it says, put on tender mercies. These are tender feelings of compassion for one another. And again, it's not an on and off switch. It's a constant attitude of the heart. How do you feel about other people? Guys, if you love God, you say you love God, and you don't love people, I don't know how that works, because that's not biblical. If you love God, you should love people. Amen? When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You know, they came to him, we got over 600 rules, which is the greatest ones? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Love God and love people. If you don't love people, you're not manifesting the love of God to the world around you. Amen? And we're to represent him. We should be the most loving people around. And sometimes it's just something simple. Reach out to those who are hurting right now. I heard that somebody did this, and it put on my heart to do the same. In my neighborhood, they've got the little, got the little posters in people's yards where they have graduates. And someone else did that, so I didn't think of it. And, and somebody went door-to-door in their neighborhood and handed out cards to each one of those kids who was graduating with a $20 bill in it. And just said, I know, I know I don't know you, but I know you missed out on your graduation. I just want you to know that my heart breaks for you, that you missed out on that. I want you to know that we love you and we care about you and we're praying for you. I thought, you know what? That's pretty powerful. Can I get an amen? Isn't that not showing love to people? 
Isn't that a way that you can reach out to people around you? The whole point is, if we love God, we will love people. And if we love people, we will go the extra mile to minister to them, to reflect Jesus Christ to them as they desperately need, may need the Lord. So this is the heart of a believer always. It's not tender mercy when you watch a commercial that kind of breaks your heart and you write a check. It's a tender mercy and the way that you view people all the time. One of my prayers always is, Lord, let me see people the way you see them. Let me love people the way that you love them, Lord. Then he, on, along with tender mercies, he says kindness. You know, it's kind of tragic that kindness is out of style today, I think, to some degree. You know, people are fighting over the last roll of toilet paper. It's kind of ridiculous. And there's just this mentality that people are angry and bitter with each other over just nonsense. And the word kindness there in the Greek means moral goodness, integrity, and kindness, doing good things for other people. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. When was the last time you laid down your life for anybody? When was the last time you went the extra mile to show kindness? And again, I think the Holy Spirit will prompt us to do it. And again, totally the Lord, he gets all the praise for it. But we had layoffs at work recently, and God just put it on my heart. In the middle of the day, I'm just sitting there working. You should call every one of those people one at a time and pray for them on the phone and encourage them. So I did. And now I have no, I get no, I get nothing that God did that. Amen. And just put it on my heart. I'm calling these people and I'm praying with them on the phone. And there's grown men weeping on the phone. We're encouraging each other. We're loving on each other, ministering to each other. I'm I'm sharing, guys, let's just be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because in me dwelleth no good thing. I would never have done that on my own. And, And a lot of times there's things that the Lord prompts me to do and I don't do them. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's the reality is there's kindness. Do you care about people? Are you more concerned about others than you are yourself? Notice what else after he says, tender mercies and kindness, humility. Boy, humility just gets a bad rap, doesn't it? We live in a world today that people are so prideful. By the way, you know, somebody gives money to somebody, then they, they, pull a, they, they get a full-page ad in the L.A. Times, or they run a blog telling how they just gave money to somebody else. That's not humility. That's I gave money so that people will think I'm amazing. Guys, humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Amen? Take yourself out of the equation. How are you going to respond? That's what humility is. It's a, it's a deep sense of one's own littleness and modesty apart from the Lord. It's thinking of others first. And sometimes there's this false humility. Oh, I just oh, I hate myself, and I'm, uh, and I'm ugly, and I... You know, if, if you hated yourself, you'd be glad you were ugly. Can I get amen to that, right? But the reality is there's this mentality that people have where they act all like they're somber and they're all, uh, you know, and the reality, that's not humility. Humility is recognizing how valuable you are to the Lord and how precious you are in his sight and how much he loves you, but recognizing that any good in me came from the Lord. And to him be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And it's never focusing on me. It's always putting the focus on him. Amen? So always put the focus on the Lord. Seek first his kingdom, his glory. Again, not thinking badly about yourself, but not thinking about yourself at all. Then he says meekness. Now meekness, again, you think of a little mealy mouse, a little wimpy. You know, that guy's meek. No, meek, we've talked about this if you've come here before. The word in the original language means strength under control. And what, somebody used the analogy of Clydesdale horses, right? Those guys are strong as they get, but they're called meek because their master can control them, right? And so meekness is strength under control of your master. And again, that should be our heart as well. We should be those who are under the control of our Savior. It's not about me. It's about him. The choices we make are the ones being led by the Lord, not by my own passions and desires. And then he says, long-suffering. Now, boy, we love this one, don't we? Now, some of us right now are losing our minds because we've had to stay home and in our houses and eat out of our fridge and uh, spend time with our families. I don't know that that's long-suffering. Um, I think it's long-suffering for people that don't have any food in their house. Can I get an amen to that? I think it's long-suffering for people that are, can't get the medical care they need. I think it's long-suffering for a lot of different reasons. But you know what? Uh, we don't want to suffer long. When we suffer, we want it over. We get the twinge of a headache, and we're, we're upstairs getting aspirin now. We don't want to feel pain for a moment. But you know what? Someone who's walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit is willing to suffer long. The word for long-suffering there speaks of patience and endurance and consistency, constancy, a steadfastness to persevere. To, uh, it's, it's a slowness in avenging wrongs. 
This is a patience with people. Long-suffering really has more, it has something to do with your circumstances, but it's also learning to have a great deal of patience with other people. He suffers long. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the willingness to suffer long. How do you, how do you achieve these kinds of attitudes? Paul says to do it, to just do it. We can suffer long if we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we have an eternal perspective, God is still in control. God is faithful. God will provide. We can trust him. Then he says in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. The Greek word here, to bear with one another, means to hold somebody up or to hold them back from harm. God is forbearing towards sinners as he withholds his judgment from us. And the Bible tells us to forgive others as Christ forgave you. Amen? So if you can't forgive others, there's a problem. And we need to learn to have that same heart of forgiveness for others that Christ has for us. Again, I think forgiveness is really seen in not just what we say, but how we respond. Forgiveness isn't just words that we say, it's actions that we take. It must not, we have to go beyond just uh, saying that we forgive that person. But you know, Satan uses bitterness and unforgiveness to divide the body of Christ. In order to forgive, even if you know you're 100% right. If you know you're 100% right and that other person's 100% wrong and there's division between you, you need to go forgive that person. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, Jesus is 100% right, we're 100% wrong, and he forgave us. Can I get an amen to that? So even if that person is totally way out of, out of line, you know what? The enemy wants to bring division. We need to use forgiveness to bring restoration and because that's what the Lord desires. There needs to be unity in the body of Christ. We must take that next step between just believing it in our hearts or, or saying maybe we forgive them with our words, but not just to endure and tolerate, but to forgive and forget as Christ has done for us. Forgiveness opens the heart to the fullness of the love of God. You know when you forgive somebody, especially if they really know they've wronged you, do you know that opens the door for the gospel? You know, that opens an opportunity to share with people about the true depth of forgiveness that can be found in Christ. The very instant we have a, a complaint against another is the very moment we ought to forgive them. We don't hold back forgiveness until they do something. We don't say, I'm not going to forgive you until you act better. I'm not going to forgive. That's not up to you. That's up to the Lord. You forgive them. Forgive others as Christ forgave you. Notice along with forgiveness here, he says, uh, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also, so you must also do. So we, it's, just, it's important for us to forgive, again, the way that Christ forgave us. Just remember that. There's some people watching this right now that you know there's somebody you need to call and forgive. Do it. Do it. Don't wait till it's too late. Don't go to funeral and say, I should have restored this relationship a long time ago. That might be the very thing from them hearing the gospel. That person doesn't know the Lord. You call out, you reach out, you forgive them, you show them the love of God, the grace of God, and you pray that God will soften their hearts. And then he says in verse 14, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I'll give you one guess what that word love is in Greek. What do you think? It's agape. Agape, love, this love here is a selfless love where you love someone outside of yourself more than you love yourself. See, eros, where we get the word erotic, self, selfish lust, takes. Agape gives. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love, agape, is unconditional. It's selfless. This is the most important virtue. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It ties all virtue together. In Galatians 5.22, and as the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, agape. And then everything after that describes agape. Joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, faithful. All those things describe that love. And we, the Bible says they shall know us by the love that we have one for another. You should not be, if you're a Christian, you should not be walking around moaning, complaining, and looking like you've been sucking on a lemon. Can I get an amen to that? shouldn't be an attitude and anger and a bitterness. There should be joy in our hearts. We should be reflecting the love of Christ, the world that so desperately needs us. The Bible says anything we do without love is like clanging cymbals. We're just making noise. If we don't do it motivated by love, we're just beating uh, you know, symbols together, making a bunch of noise that doesn't sound good. The Lord's called us to do everything, to do all that we do as unto the Lord and do it in love. Point number four. Put on the new man. Be restored in the image of God through the knowledge of God. Walk in unity with all believers through the common bond in Christ. As born-again believers, our behavior should be consistent with who we are in Christ. And then number four there, the peace of God 
ruling in your heart. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul turns from character to conduct here as he starts to talk about how a Christian should be known. How can, can a, a Christian know God's will? How do you know what God wants for your life? Notice what it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know, the, the, the thing that I get most often, and you've had it yourself, I've had it myself, how do I decide what to do? Do I take this job or not take this job? Do I take this promotion or not take this promotion? Should I, you know, court this person or not court this person? Should I, whatever these major decisions in your life are, right? What church should I go to? What should I do? Should I, where, what ministry? All the things that rattle around your head. How do you get answers for that? Well, the key is this. It's really found in that verse. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. See, when the peace of God rules in your heart, when you have the peace of God and you know the word of God, you have the inner peace. Now, this is going to sound really flip because the Bible doesn't say, should I take the job with uh, you know, this company or that company? Which one should I pick? The Bible verse is probably not going to tell you which one. It's not going to say, Dave, take the job at this company. But here's what God does do. As I spend time in prayer, as I spend time in the word, as I'm constantly in his presence, as I'm seeking his face, as I surrender my life completely to the Lord, when that happens... I can, if I do all of that, do what you want. Because here's what happens. As you spend time in God's presence, his will becomes yours. His desires become yours. His heart becomes yours. Now, by the way, you'll also know it's the, it's the will of God if it's consistent with the word of God. Amen? Well, I just have an inner peace to date this unbeliever. Uh, no, you don't. And that did not come from God. Can I get an amen? So there is, it's not the burning in your bosom that some say they, the, the, how they know that the, the Book of Mormon is true. No, it's a lie. Because it's not just a feeling. That feeling has to be backed up with the Word of God. Amen? The Word of God is the final court of authority. But when we're making decisions, spend time in His presence. Seek His face. You know what happens? His desire becomes yours. His, his plan becomes the, heart, the passion of your heart. You're going to want to do it. Surround yourself with godly counsel. Get godly counsel from others again. But the peace of God, where do we get the peace of God? By spending time in the word of God. Guys, when we spend time in the word of God, we will have the peace of God. It's an inner peace. It produces peace between individuals. It's a peace on our daily walk. It's a peace with God as we walk in his will. And when we're outside of his will, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The peace in your heart. Here's what happens. When you have peace with God, you're going to have peace with others, and there'll be praise on your lips. I truly believe that. I believe when you're walking in peace with God, you'll be peace with the world. You have a heart and a passion for people to love them the way the Lord loves them, and you'll also have praise in your heart. You know, I'll tell you, okay, Pastor Dave's opinion here. If you don't like to worship, where are you at with Jesus? I don't get it. Can I get an amen to that? I love to worship out the loudest in my car when no one else can hear my off-key voice. Can I get amen to that? But I love to worship, and I, you know, I bought my car specifically because of the amount of speakers it had, so I can worship Jesus at the top of my lungs. Can I get amen to that? And I will worship him between sales calls, and I just love to put on old sonic flood worship from the 80s, right, and just worship Jesus. You know why? Because he's worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. Can I get an amen with that? And you know when you know that? When you have peace with God. When you have peace with God, if you're walking in an intimate fellowship with the Lord, you can't help but praise him. You can't help but say, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, I praise your name. By the way, you'll notice a pattern when I pray that I got out of the word of God. You know how you begin your prayers? With praise. You're a holy, righteous, just, and awesome God. You know what? When you begin with the character of God, doesn't it change the power of, of what you believe God can do in your prayers? You know, when we know that he's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's all-knowing, he's almighty, he's all-powerful, and by the way, I'm praying for my sick friend. Does that know, do we not know that he can heal that person? Can I get an amen? So begin your prayer with praise, and praise should be ever be coming from our lips. By the way, worship is practice for heaven, amen? And we will be around the throne one day, worshiping him forevermore. And when you're at peace with God, you'll be, have a, we'll be at peace with people, you have a heart for people, a passion for people, and praise will be coming from your lips. So the peace of God ruling in your heart brings peace with others and a passion to praise the Lord. Last two points. Verse 16. The word of God dwells in you richly. Can't say enough about this. It says there, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So there's, there's that continuation of that 
previous thought, that when you're at peace with God and you're spending time in his presence, that praise will be on your lips. Now, notice what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Does the word of God dwell in you? Is the word of God an active part of your daily life? Is the word of God your source of wisdom and knowledge and understanding? Or is it, is it some guru you go to or some self-help group that you follow? or some? Again, some of those can be okay, I guess. But why would I chase after what the world thinks about anything when I can open up the Bible and know what God says? Can I get an amen to that? This is the source of all true wisdom. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you have no fear of God, you have no wisdom. Why would I run to the world for answers when I can run to the one who created everything? And isn't it amazing when you spend time in God's word, how God's word, God will use that to minister to somebody else? How God will bring verses to your heart as you're sharing with somebody, you're encouraging somebody, you're ministering to somebody. And you know what? If, if, the word of God isn't dwelling in your heart. It's not going to come out of your mouth. Amen? Now, the overflowing of a man's heart is mouth speaks. So is the word of God coming out of your mouth or curse words coming out of your mouth? Amen? If we dwell in the word of God richly as new, as new men and new women in Christ, as new creations in Christ, the word of God. You know what? I have a hard time reading other books. I love that people love to read books. God bless you guys. My wife will read five books in a week. God bless her. I haven't read five books in my life. Why? Because every time I start to read another book, I've got books I've started, very few that I finished. Because when I start to read another book, I'll be reading it. And even if it's a book about the Bible, it's okay. But you know what? I'd rather be, read the books in the Bible than books about the Bible. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is where the hope is. Let's open up the Bible. Open it. Read it. Obey it. But does the word of God dwell in you richly? And you'll know because it's coming out of your mouth if it does. And I love that you can see a, somebody who spends time in the Word of God. Now, there's false teachers everywhere. In this day, it was the Gnostics and the mystics and the astrologers and those who were adding to the simplicity of the cross. And this, the safeguard against false teaching is to know the truth. I have no problem opening my door to talk to anybody that wants to talk to me about anything. Why? Because I know the truth because I know the Word. Can I get an amen? And here's the reality. I'm never going to arrive where I know it as well as I should. I, I always want to know it better. Amen? Always want to know it better. I've learned a lot about my wife in 35 years of marriage. And I love her more today than I did the day I met her. I love her more every day. Why? Because I know her better. Amen? Can you imagine if I just stopped on day one? I'm thankful for the opportunity to grow in that relationship. And so we need to know the word of God. And we need to dwell in it with all wisdom and the teaching and admonishing one another. So when we know the word of God, God's going to use it to encourage other people. See, we don't just study the Bible so we can put it in our minds and check off a list of, I read through the Bible again and have a list of things that we know. It's got to change the way we behave. That belief in our knowledge of the word of God should change the way we minister to other people. And when we, when we have a chance to counsel or encourage or share something with somebody, it should be the word of God, not the words of men. Amen? And that's the exhortation here as new men and women of Christ. You know, there's a direct correlation here. I think one of the things that we do to keep ourselves falling, you know, be walking in the fullness of, a, of the Holy Spirit is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. When people say, God feels distant to me, first of all, your feelings will lie to you all the time because God is never distant. Can I get an amen to that? He's Abba, Father, and Daddy is never far away. Now, you may, not be a, you may have turned your back on Him to some degree, and you may be walking in rebellion, and you've got that momentary broken fellowship with the Lord that needs repentance. But here's the reality. God's not far away because God left. If God's far from us, we left. We moved. Amen? And here's the reality. You will not be far from God if you spend time in the Word. You will not be far from God if you spend time in prayer. You will, not be, you will be walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you're spending time in the Word and time in prayer. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, Joshua, Pastor Joshua and I were talking about this before the message. I've rarely seen somebody that says they're filled with the Spirit, that seems to be walking in the fullness of the Spirit, that doesn't spend a lot of time in the Word of God. And I rarely see people that spend a ton of time in the Word of God that don't want to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? And when you have somebody that says they're full of the Spirit and they don't spend time in the Word of God, they're barking in the Spirit and doing foolish things. Can I get an amen? And they've got, all the, you know, they got, a, they got the zoo going on and, and gold dust coming from the sky. Why? Because it's the Spirit. No, it's spirits, but not the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? We desire the Word of God more than necessary food. God's Word is what draws us into a more intimate and close relationship with the Lord. And the Spirit of God and the Word of God are closely held together. Amen? Because the Word of God... 
the Word of God is the second part of the Trinity, and the Spirit of God is the third part of the Trinity. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't just have a relationship with one or the other. And if there's too much focus just on the Holy Spirit without it being grounded in the Word of God, it's a mess. And if it's, if it's all the Word of God without leaving room for the Holy Spirit, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Can I get an amen to that? There's a spiritual deadness. We all just sit around and we never, we're never very happy and we just have to be very solemn. And whoa, 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 we're just wicked, vile, despicable, vile sin. Yes, we are. We're new creations in Christ. And we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and kindness. If there's no joy, there's no Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? And that needs to be there. So let the world, it says there, let the word dwell in you richly in all wisdom, both as individuals and as a church. You know what? I have one passion for this fellowship, to preach the word and to love every single one of you uh, as much as I possibly can. Preach the word and love the people. Amen? And you know what? I can't do anything about every other church, but I can promise you we will teach the word here. And the word of God will dwell richly in this fellowship. And my prayer is that it dwells richly everywhere. Can I get an amen to that? Because seven steps to financial freedom not helping you right now. Amen? Beaver doesn't live here anymore this series, the roller coaster ride through life. None of that, Matt. The word of God will transform you. And the word of God needs to be the focus always. As it dwells richly in each individual, it will dwell richly in the body of Christ as a whole. And the danger today, as in Paul's day, is local churches minimizing the word of God and more interest in movies and dramas and everything else they can do you know, to entertain a crowd rather than to make disciples. Again, the word of God needs to be the priority and the, and, and the passion of every local church. Many cannot say that God's word dwells in them richly because they have not taken the time to read it, read it, study it. And here's a good one. You ready? And memorize it. Memorize it. Get God's word in your heart. If they threw you in jail tomorrow and took away your Bible, would you have any memory of scripture? It might, might come a day. Can I get an amen to that? But notice he says there at the end of this as we finish up, in psalms and hymns and spiritual singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord... There's a definite correlation, again, between the knowledge of the word in our hearts to worship. And the more we know the Lord, the more we want to worship him. And the, the, the songs and the hymns just come flowing from our lips. And man, I love worship. Worship's amazing. Again, it's singing. True worship doesn't just come from here. It comes from here. It's not just words that come out of our mouth. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. If there's true worship, it's coming from here. Lord, I can't praise you enough. Uh, true praise ought to bring us to tears. Amen. And having experienced his grace, we too sing with grace. Last verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. The final point there put on the new man is doing all things in the name of Christ. You represent the Lord to a lost and a dying world. Do all things in his name and for his glory. When you do something in somebody's name, you're saying that this person agrees with what I'm saying. You know why? When you pray in Jesus' name... It means that everything you've prayed, you believe that Jesus agrees with it. Can I get an amen to that? And when you do something in somebody's name, then it should be honoring of that person's character. Can I get an amen? So if I'm going to do something in the name of Christ, if I'm walking as a Christian, I should represent him well. I should honor his character and bring glory and honor to his name. And everything we should do, we do, do all things in his name, represent him at all times. Giving thanks to God for all that he has done done. He's worthy to be praised. It makes my current trials of life feel like nothing. It says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Guys, if you can't praise God, again, it's not because God's not worthy of it. It's because your heart's not in the right place. Amen? I want to encourage you, open up the Bible. Read it. Obey it. If you're struggling, pick up the phone and call a Christian brother or sister in Christ and let them know that you're struggling and have that person pray with you and for you. Guys, if we're in that place, it's not God's fault, it's ours. And if we've lost our faith, it's not God's fault, it's ours. And if we're struggling with difficulty right now and we're, we're more focused on our circumstances around us than we are on the Lord, that's, that's, not, that's not God's fault, that's ours. And so guys, we're as close to God as we want to be. We're new creations in Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's time to put off the, the old man and focus our lives completely and totally on the Lord. So put on the new man. How do you do that? How do we walk in newness of life? By being restored to the image of God through the knowledge of God. By walking in unity with all believers through our common bond in Christ. 
As born-again believers, our behavior should be consistent with who we are in Christ. By having the peace of God ruling in your heart, the word of God dwelling in you richly, and doing all things in the name of Christ. So now we're going to go to time of communion. Is he worthy to be worshipped? Can I get an amen? And as we do this, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And may we never take the cross of Calvary for granted. May we never take this lightly. So if you have elements in your house, go get them if you haven't laid them out already. And I want you to take the elements. Just lost me. Oh, there we go. Hold on to the elements as the worship team come on up is going to lead us in worship. And as they lead us in worship, take a few moments to spend time with the Lord. Looking back to the cross, as he said, often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what he's done for us on the cross of Calvary. Looking within, maybe there's people you need to forgive. Maybe you need to do business with the Lord right now. Take some time and spend that time for, as a time of repentance and restoration with the Lord. And then looking forward, because there's a day coming, we'll be around his throne, and we'll be taking communion together with him. Let's pray and grab your elements, and let's spend a few moments with the Lord. We'll take the elements together. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not left us on this planet alone. You've given us the word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've adopted us into your family. You've made us new creations in in your son. We thank you for that. And now as we go to this time of communion, we look back. We look back to where we were saved, where we were redeemed, where we were forgiven. That place where all of our sin was placed upon our Savior where he knew suffering and torment and shame, that we might, we might know healing and forgiveness and grace. And so, Lord, as we take this time right now, we do this in remembrance of your son. We do this as an act of, of worship. So, Lord, bless this, these moments as we spend this time in your presence, preparing our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.